1: Hey everybody, it is another best of episode of FOMO Sapiens. I went back into the catalog to find some of the favorite episodes that we have run over the years that had smart people with big ideas, and this week I am bringing you Jamie Metzl. Jamie Metzl, we're going back to season two, when his book about basically hacking our genetics came out. And the great thing about this episode and the reason I chose it, besides the fact that Jamie is just a super smart guy, is that everything he said is coming true. So you are going to hear things that we've just been seeing play out around how we can actually hack our genetics and and how that's playing out in the, in the world of healthcare and medicine and babies and everything else. So He wrote this book before the pandemic. The pandemic comes out, and you'll just see how it all kind of comes together. It's very insightful. It's very future-forward, and you're going to love it. I hope you enjoy. FOMO. My name is Patrick J. McGinnis, and I coined the term FOMO. That's short for fear of missing out, and it's why some people end up following the crowd. But we're not like them. We're part of a new species that isn't afraid to do things differently. I call us FOMO sapiens. And this is the show where you'll meet people like us, phenomenal FOMO sapiens, to learn how they find the courage and the ideas to live exceptional lives. FOMO FOMO Welcome to FOMO Sapiens, the show where I interview people who are changing the world and ask them how they choose from among the many opportunities and options in their busy lives. Imagine you had the ability to walk into a fertility doctor's office and make a series of choices that would drastically reduce the risk that your unborn child would have to worry about getting cancer or some other disease. Would you do it? Let's take that a step further. Would you want to choose the child's sex, height, intellectual ability, or basic personality traits? Well, someday you will most definitely have the opportunity to do exactly that. And even if you say no thanks or your government prohibits you from doing so, this is the future. It will happen in some corners of the world and will have major implications for all of us. My guest today is the author of a fascinating new book called Hacking Darwin, Genetic Engineering and the Future of Humanity, which decodes just exactly where we're headed. Jamie Metzl is a leading futurist, geopolitical expert, science fiction novelist, media commentator, and a senior fellow at the Atlantic Council. He has also served in the White House, the State Department, and the United Nations. In February 2019, he was appointed to the World Health Organization Expert Advisory Committee on Developing Global Standards for the Governance and Oversight of Human Genome Editing. He is a regular contributor to CNN, Bloomberg, and other media outlets. Welcome to FOMO Sapiens, Jamie Metzl.
0: I'm thrilled to be here, Patrick.
1: So I like to start the show with the same question every time, and I'll ask you, everybody feels a little FOMO sometimes, so what turns you into a FOMO sapiens?
0: Well, I'm out gallivanting around the world, having incredible adventures, writing books, meeting amazing people, but I always have this sinking feeling in the back of my mind, what if I'm missing the big thing? And I, if people ask me, how do you do all these different things? I say, I have an easy answer. I don't have any kids, and I have no idea how people with one kid do anything else in their life, let alone two or three. And it turns out you have to feed them every single day. You can't have a break. That seems really hard, but there's a part of me that thinks, what if that is the real big goal of life, and I'm I'm missing it? Well,
1: I know that you have visited... I don't know if we're allowed to say this yeah. word on the show, but in, in your book, yeah. which I just yeah. read and enjoyed, you go to a place, a sperm bank, yes. that has a, a special room called the Masturbatorium, Masturbatorium. which is um, <laughs> I just, that's the first time that's you been know, said on this podcast. You know, it's, it's
0: really funny. I truly believe, and I write about this in the book. Um, that we are moving towards just thinking about sex and procreation very, very differently as a species. So I, we are moving away and will increasingly move away from sex by procreation. So this kind of this experience that's kind of uncomfortable and weird of going to a fertility clinic and the, for the man, it's easy. The woman has to have a surgical procedure to extract the eggs. That is increasingly going to be the norm. Like right now, when you're, you know, when you're a little kid, you get your immunizations and what you're doing is you're investing in future health and when you are relatively young in your early 20s ever men will freeze their sperm and women will freeze their eggs and it'll just be what we do
1: and it's interesting because as i read the book i i was thinking to myself first of all jamie's written a couple of sci-fi thrill, right. genetics thrillers yeah. which is a which is a genre that i, I didn't even know existed but those are works of fiction, and this is a nonfiction book. And yet, when a lot of people read *Hacking Darwin*, I think they're going to find it hard to believe what's possible today and what you're painting in terms right. of the future. So, why don't you sketch out, even if somebody maybe isn't doesn't remember their their genetics education from right. high school, what's possible today that might be surprising to us, and then where are things going in the future?
0: Yeah. We're living in a world where science fiction and science fact feel very, very similar. That's the whole idea of exponential change, that we're on this J-curve, where it's not just that our computer technology is getting faster. Every technology is super converging. And so the pace of change going forward is so much faster than it has been in the past, even though it's been incredibly fast already. And so what this is going to mean is that changes that feel like sci-fi are going to happen much sooner than it feels like they will. So right now... Uh, the genetic revolution is transforming the way we do healthcare, And then the kind of shorthand for what's happening is we're moving from a world of generalized medicine. So it's when you go to get medical care, you are treated based on the fact that you are a human. Uh, and that's kind of it. And so we're moving from that based on population averages to precision health care based on your individual biology. So you go get a treatment. If you have a drug, you're going to know if that's a drug that works for someone like you and the way you're going to know is your sequenced genome is going to be the foundation of your electronic health record. And when we have billions of people, which we will very soon, who've had their uh, who had their genomes sequenced and their life and health information is part of their electronic health records, then understanding our genome becomes a big data analytics problem and we are developing those tools so we're going to understand not just simple genetics like we do today but extremely complex genetics. And what that's going to mean is that the information that we get, for example, from direct-to-consumer genetics companies like 23andMe is going to be far more significant, far more actionable than it's been in the past. And it means that when we, when we go to procreate, and the reason why I've said we're going to move toward the end of, of procreation through sex, is we'll be able, if you have a kid through IVF, you'll be able to screen your embryos Not just today where you can do it for single gene mutation diseases, but for complex diseases and increasingly for complex traits. And so we will be able to do things like rank order embryos from likely tallest to likely shortest, likely highest genetic component of IQ to likely lowest. And that's going to really challenge some... core issues for us. What does it mean to be a human being? What do we think about diversity? What do we think about life choice? What do we think about fate? What do we think about God? All of these questions are going to come crashing down on us. And, and that's why I've written the book is because we can't wait for this to become a crisis. What we need to be doing is having a thoughtful conversation now. What's the timing for this? I, I imagine, for example... In the last
1: couple of years, everybody I know has done their Ancestry.com. Lots right. of surprises in yeah. there, too. Yeah. That is sort of level one or of, of what you're talking about, and right. this exists today. But for some of these more advanced uh, technologies, uh, w- w- when will we see these very transformational things happening?
0: And so th- the issue is it's not going to happen all at once. There's not mm-hmm. going to be one day you wake up and you say, wow, it's here. It's going to be all these little Steps and all of the little steps are happening in healthcare. You hear we hear things all the time about gene therapies, um, about people who are being treated based on the n of one, not just because they're a human, but because they are them. There's this whole field that's developing of of genetic pharmacology of identifying who people are. So that transition is already happening. Uh, predictive genetics um, is already happening. There's a company called Genomic Prediction not far from here in New Jersey. And what they are doing is basically getting sequencing information from pre-implanted embryos and they can tell a lot. It's not perfect, it's, it's still the early days. And that information is already translating into decisions that people are beginning to make in fertility clinics. And so it's just going to get more and more and more. And people, if they want to, I mean, you have to be really connected and aggressive, but people can select embryos uh, based on wanting to have a taller rather than shorter kid. I don't think many people have done it, but this is going to become increasingly the norm. But there's not going to be one day you wake up and you say, oh, my God, designer babies happened today. It's going to be a bunch of little decisions and parents are going to demand each step.
1: And do you see this as something that's only going to be for the wealthiest people in the world? Or is this something that we're going to see translate? I imagine there'll be sort of a two-speed level. There'll be certain countries where the rules are lax, right. or well, I don't yeah. want to say lax, but where the yeah. rules accommodate this type of, of, of right. science and other places where they don't. There'll be places where the technology is advanced and right. other places where they aren't. And so you're going to have... If you think about it in, a, in an abstract sense, you could end up having this world of haves and have-nots yeah. genetically right. um, in, in
0: the future. How will that yeah. play out? So there is the worst case scenario and the best case scenario. And we will wind up somewhere in the middle. The worst case scenario is that we have total inequality in our access to these technologies. Um The best case scenario is we have greater equality. Every technology has an adoption curve. If we had said we're going to wait for everybody to have a plow or a wheel or or whatever uh, until everybody gets one, um, then we never would have had any any technological advancement. So we have to accept there will be first uh, adopters. But what we don't want is a situation like with European colonialism, where one group gets some kind of special superpowers, and in this case, it was weapons and ships, and then uses that to think that they are different from everybody else or that they they have a different fate or can even, worst case scenario, dominate uh, other people. And this will happen on the national and the international level. At a national level, there just are people, even if technology is, is widely spread, even if countries have national health systems that pay for this, there'll be some people who will be more and less comfortable, and we need to make sure that there is as much equality of access as possible. But then on an international level, there are countries that are just way more technologically advanced than others. There are countries that have different views. I mean, a country like China is probably going to be much more accommodating for this kind of technology, and, and already is, and even a country like the United States that is advanced technologically, we have a lot of issues, and whether it's uh, they've shown up in is- in the way we've thought about genetically modified crops, about abortion, so you could easily imagine a scenario where an entire country like the United States, a big, powerful, wealthy country, opts out from certain applications of genetic technologies, and another country like China opts in, and that's my novel, Genesis Code, is actually uh, imagining this kind of, of scenario, and if we want to make sure that at least the, the forces of democracy are as integrated into our decision making um, uh, as much as possible, now is the time when we need to be talking about what are those values and how can we make sure that they are being woven in to the entire process.
1: FOMO. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, or delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Yeah, you talk a lot about not just about babies, but about how genetics and these advances can be used for curing diseases. And part of that development in science w- results from working with with stem cells. Right. And in the United States, the government has made a decision that there are limitations on how these things can be done, that there are, for example, um, the fetuses that are aborted, those stem cells may not be used for research, which means that vis-a-vis another country where there is not right. that kind of regulation, there is going to be a different speed of progress. So it is interesting. As I, as I read the book, I thought to myself, you could end up with a situation in which a country or a series of countries choose to create... A, a group of of children that will become adults that are better at everything, that are able to invent new weapons, new technologies, new systems that will give them. It's sort of like it, you know, it sounds like one of your novels. This yeah. power that could end up um, making uh, the countries that don't participate. Uh, much more vulnerable to yeah. different types of things. Yeah. And so I guess that's the nightmare situation, Situation, as you mentioned. How do we avoid ending up there? What are the choices we need to make today as a
0: country or as a global community to avoid that yeah. happening? So it used to be, even 20, 30 years ago, that the United States was so so much more technologically advanced than every other country that if we made a decision about how to use or not use A given technology that would have huge implications for everybody else and and less than 20 years ago when uh, george w bush administration made the decision limiting access to stem cells that was the idea that it's not that we it's going to happen everywhere as much as it would happen here that we had this idea that we are so far ahead that our decisions will change the course of technological development. That is not the case. You get a Nobel Prize for figuring out how to use, how to do um, CRISPR-Cas9 gene editing. Why you explain that to everybody? Yeah, so ge- I, yeah. I had to read that a couple times okay, myself. Good. Yeah, so, so, uh, so the, uh, gene editing, we have our genomes. And gene editing is the idea that you can go and essentially cut and paste. It's more complicated than that. There have been multiple tools for doing precision gene editing, but the latest, which is about seven years old since it was, it was first it discovered, invented, um, is called CRISPR-Cas9, and it's faster, cheaper, and easier than everything else. Um, I was on a panel uh, two weeks ago here in New York with Jennifer Doudna, who's, who is one of the, uh, of the inventors, and I said in that panel, you get a Nobel Prize, as Jennifer will, um, for developing the CRISPR-Cas9 system but you get an A in your high school biology class for applying it. And then afterwards, this very nice woman came and spoke to me and said, I didn't want to interrupt you during your talk, but I'm a high school biology teacher. You don't get an A for being able to do CRISPR-Cas9 gene editing on a real cell in my class. That's a B. And you have to do all these other things to get an A. So this technology is out. So it's in it's in high schools people are in, using
1: this technology totally
0: yes I mean high schools don't have their own fertility clinics okay but there are gazillion fertility clinics around around the world and this guy um, ho Kui, who's this Chinese uh, biophysicist who uh, genetically uh, genetically altered the pre-implanted embryos of what became two uh, Chinese little girls born in China uh, last year in October like he wasn't a biologist. He wasn't even a doctor. So this, this technology is out. And there will be different levels of, adoptions, uh, of adoption within and between societies. And that has the potential to have very significant implications. And a lot of people say, oh, super soldiers, that's the app. The real killer app is super societies. I mean, we live in competitive ecosystems. And if this works as well as I think it will... Um, there are a lot of different models. And some of them are actually really terrifying. I mean, some of them are just straight out of Plato's Republic, where you think of, we're going to screen the entire population to figure out who has a genetic predisposition to be good at a certain thing. And so you'll be sorted essentially at birth that you're on this track. We know that you have a potential to be really great at math or physics or sprinting or whatever. And so we're gonna kind of give you opportunities to participate in activities where you might excel and have kind of a pyramidal scheme, so you're not waiting, you're not seeing who are the people who happen to take piano classes or, or you know, Mozart happened to be in an environment where his um, his in built-in uh, genetic skills could be and capacities could be realized. So we're going to know all of that. You could easily imagine a society saying, "Well, how can we leverage that towards?" greater societal competitiveness. And if that works, and, and it may or it may not, that's going to put a lot of competitive pressure on everybody else.
1: In the book, you talk about the fact that your neighbor may be biohacking in his or yeah. her garage, right? right? So you could have, uh, you, you gave some stats around the numbers of, of biohackers that are in right. different parts of the world. And it's everywhere. It's not everywhere. just in advanced uh, uh, technological society. Right. It's everywhere. Yeah. This could be. It doesn't even if the government is uh, is against it. As we know today, if you think about uh, an analogy, which is uh, which is terrorism, you may have a government that's stated policy is we we are against terrorism, but then somebody with access to chemicals can in their garage make a bomb and go out and do something very bad. So the, the democratization of access to technology can also play out with these what seem like very advanced technologies, but actually, as you've just said, are quite accessible. So to avoid this,
0: completely spending. Out of control, what what needs to be done? Yeah, great question. So first, I'll, I'll say your 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 question is exactly right. There was a, a, te- a team of uh, researchers in Canada using hundred thousand dollars, and they had their uh, their lab. They created a virulent strain of horsepox, which is a, a cousin of uh, of smallpox. hundred thousand dollars. That same thing could be done now for. So we are people with using the tools of synthetic biology where you and you can just order um, DNA segments and they just come to you the next day in the mail. I mean, this power is going to be massively decentralized. But the real question is, what do we do now? And that's why I have a lot of this at the end of the book. So a few things. Um, First is, Every country needs to have its own regulatory infrastructure. I mean, in this world, there are some that countries like the United Kingdom that have are doing a really great job. Some like the United States that are doing an okay job. Some like China that are have maybe decent laws on the books, but they're not being enforced. And then there are these regulatory black holes where they have nothing. What we need to do is every country needs to have a regulatory system. We should have a a, a model for sharing best practices. Second. Um, I'm on the World Health Organization International Advisory Committee on Human Genome Editing. And what we are trying to do is establish some kinds of international standards. But that's not going to be enough. Um, We need all the countries need to weigh in. We need to have a process like we've had with climate change. It hasn't worked. um, But there's there's a model for how we can come together and try to establish standards that work for everybody. But neither of those things are going to happen without a groundswell from the bottom up that our our political leaders aren't focusing on this issue Uh, the international community such as it is isn't really focused on this issue there are a few um, a few examples and what I'm trying to do with this book is to launch what I'm calling a species-wide dialogue on the future of human genetic engineering. This is the most important issue, I believe, that any of us will face over the course of our lives. And it's part of this. I think there's four issues, genetics, AI, nuclear weapons, and climate change. I mean, these are these four key issues of our of our time and people get climate change. I mean, it doesn't mean that we've we've succeeded in responding, but average person on the street here in New York, around the world, in Europe where the Greens have just been very successful in the European election, people get that that's serious. People get that nuclear weapons are serious, AI even, but genetics people aren't focused uh, on. And so what we need to do is to spark a global conversation. And the way we do it is a bunch of little uh, conversations. So this morning, Patrick, as you know, I sent out and I posted on my uh, on my blog this model for a genetic engineering dinner party, and I said, "Look, it's really easy. Thirty minutes uh, prep time. You can have a five course meal. Here's how to. Here's each course, and here's a conversation topic connected to that course." I just want people all around the country and all around the world to be saying, "All right, let's have these conversations." And if you just read my book, or there's uh, there's other great materials out there. You, you know enough because you don't need to fully understand every aspect of the science, but you are a human being. And so when I, I talked to you know, this, earlier this week, I spoke to 700 fertility doctors. Um, I also speak to high school and middle school students and everybody gets it and they get it because we are humans. And what is at play is what it means to be a human. And that's all of our business. FOMO. FOMO. So I want to.
1: I don't want to uh, focus only on the negative, yes. because uh, science doesn't have to be scary. In fact, it yep. brings us a lot of good things. So yeah. as we think about the positives, let's fast forward fifty years. Let's say you are. Uh, let, let's let's just talk about general health. Like, how will these technologies that are developed today allow people to live healthier and better lives? Yeah,
0: it's a really essential question. And what I always say is healthcare is the first and most important first application of the genetics technologies. It's going to be how people experience these technologies and it's going to be extremely positive. So we're going to be able to cure, um, but also prevent all kinds of really terrible diseases and disorders. And that's going to be great. And right now we have people who die of these terrible diseases and we call it fate. Why should we? I mean, that's the history of our species: is fighting against the scourge of nature as it found us, where we didn't have enough calories, we were preyed on by by predators, and we developed agriculture, we developed medicine, uh, we developed all these tools in order to fight nature as it as it found us, and we will continue to do that, to do that, and we could, and I'm sorry, and we should, and that's wonderful, and so this is a really positive story. Um, 50 years from now, we're going to be living healthier, longer, more robust lives. And every time a little kid dies of a terrible genetic disease, everyone recognizes, well, that what a waste. But when a 90-year-old gets Alzheimer's and loses their mind after a 90-year investment of learning and relationships— That's a waste, too. We don't have to accept that. We should be fighting that. How wonderful to have five or ten more years with our parents and grandparents. I mean, think of how much more wisdom we'll have as, as a species. And genetic technologies are going to help us do that. And I have a hard time talking about this because even if I'm speaking for an hour and I'll go 58 minutes and I'll say all these positive things, and then I'll say, but there are some very real potential downsides, and we need to be mindful of them. We need to be, we need to recognize that we are messing with very complex systems that we don't remotely fully understand. We need to recognize there are issues like you mentioned of equity, issues of diversity. Uh, people think about diversity as a way of having um, inclusive workplaces and schools, but diversity is our sole survival strategy as a species, and even making. Uh, decisions that seem like a good idea, like eliminating certain diseases or disease risks, could actually harm our species down the line if we're not, if we're not careful. And that's why you know, we've had, these systems have just been baked into our biology of diversity, for example, for 4 billion years. Now that we have the ability to manipulate these natural systems, we can't just do it willy-nilly. We need to be careful, we need to be cautious, and we need to have an inclusive dialogue about the risks and benefits of the various things that we we will do.
1: What is the role of business in all of this? We've talked yep. a lot about sort of what's happening in the government, but business, obviously given the scale of these changes, yeah. there could be a tremendous amount of money to be made, but also there there is this, this ethical component of business. So how do you right. see business playing yep. in?
0: This is a trillion dollar business. I mean, this is going to be, I remember, um, many years ago, when I sent my first email in one of those very old systems, and I had this feeling: "Wow, this 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 could be something." And that's where we are with the genetics and biotech revolutions. This is going to be the story. It's going to be the human story, but it's also going to be the business story of the rest of this century and uh, and beyond. And businesses will need to play a leading role because business businesses will be the mechanism that turns science into applications. But we also need to be careful exactly as in the same as in the social media and the internet and um, uh, debate that we're having now, that we can't just say, hey, businesses, just run and do whatever you want. This we're talking about the future of life and it must be regulated. And for businesses to be regulated, we all need to be educated. Individually, we need to be educated just to be empowered consumers and citizens. We need to put pressure on our governments to respond. So we need to educate our leaders. That's one of the reasons why um, Sourcebooks and I are offering Uh, digital copies of Hacking Darwin for free to any member of any parliament of any country in the world. Um, And we need to have our countries come together in an international forum to say, well, how can we build norms and standards and ultimately regulations that can empower the great stuff, but make sure we have some guardrails to prevent the worst abuses. This is a show about
1: finding the power to choose what you actually want and the courage to miss out on the rest. I want you to to do this a little different today. Let's sure. go forward 50 years and I'm at the fertility clinic. I'm choosing from among these many options that I could have for my for my future child. Right. What's your advice to those parents in 50 years when they're looking to, to choose what their child's going to be?
0: Yeah, so first is look at yourself first. I mean, this is what we're talking about is what it means to be a human being. And some people are going to want in, want to opt in to use these technologies in very aggressive ways. And, there's, and there may very well be, I think there will be competitive pressures on people to do it. But this is really serious stuff. This is life. This is the future of your children. So you, nobody should feel forced or coerced. Um, secondly, you have to ask yourself some really tough questions about who are you? What are your values? What are the things that you care about? And there will be people. There's a, It's certain that there will be people. And most people will say, the first and foremost i want to prioritize health i don't want my kids to die young of terrible genetic diseases and and disorders and i think a lot of people are going to want that and the way we know that is that a lot of people who are already pregnant and there's some diagnosis from the prenatal uh, genetic testing of a problem most of those people are are aborting and so people are going to want that people are also going to want to have kids who live healthier longer again it's it's a realistic aspiration but after that, there are going to be a lot of things that are that are very much values based decisions like what's important. And it may be that you think and it's very legitimate to say after health, I don't want to I don't want to play there. And that's and people should feel comfortable with that. And there are going to be other people who say, well, I recognize that whatever it is, being taller is something that I prefer or being having a higher IQ correlates with a lot of positive health and, and life outcomes. But this stuff is, is really, really tricky. And if we just treat this like, oh, this is just some application, some objective application of science, that's going to be terrible, because we have to have recognized that the science is going to happen, what's at play, are the, is, are the ethics are the regulatory frameworks. And that's why we all need to be part of the conversation now about how these technologies play out. Jamie, thanks so much for coming by. I wanted to uh, I'll give you the opportunity to share yeah. with our listeners where to find you, where to find the book, yes, and where to keep learning. Great. So, keep. I'll start with the last one. Keep learning. That's the key to all of life. We are blessed to live in a time where we have the greatest access to knowledge of anybody in history. I, I'm just reading uh, this uh, biography of uh, Leonardo da Vinci, and he had like 110 books that he carried around, they were his prized possessions. Imagine how many millions of books we have access to. So just everybody, the world is changing. The way to keep up is to be a voracious reader and a hungry learner. I hope in that process, people will certainly read my book, Hacking Darwin, and you can, it's available everywhere in your local bookstores, and I certainly support local bookstores on Amazon and and Barnes and Noble, and there's the audio and the Kindle and blah, blah, blah. Um, if you'd like to uh, to learn more about me, um, uh, my website is www.jamiemetzl.com, J-A-M-I-E-M-E-T-Z-L.com. There's a book website, www.hackingdarwin.com. And on that site, we have a discussion forum. So I really hope that people who are engaged with these issues, whether you've read the book or not, will go into that forum and share your thoughts, debate with, uh, debate with other people. I'm really trying to spark this inclusive global dialogue, because so I really think that's what we need. Thanks a lot, Jamie, for stopping by and best of luck. Thanks so much, Patrick. My great pleasure. FOMO.
1: If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me on Instagram at Patrick J. McGinnis, on Twitter at PJ McGinnis, and on the web at FOMOSapiens.com or PatrickMcGinnis.com, where you can get all kinds of free resources to live a more decisive and entrepreneurial life. FOMO Sapiens is recorded in New York City.